Let's go to our scripture readings for today. Uh, we're going to read them in reverse order. Hebrews will be the first text. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 9. Actually, it should be 8. 8 through 19. Um, of course, this is a very familiar chapter to many of us because it is considered the, the hall of faith, if you will. The, all the great believers in history who are examples to us today. And we're just going to be looking at the life of Sarah as well as Abraham, beginning at verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which uh, he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, and as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even to one man, and him as good as dead as that, many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All these died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them, and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God was able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received them back as a type. Amen. Second Timothy is our next passage. We'll be reading from chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Because this is Paul's final inspired letter before he dies, and he's writing to young Timothy, but it has great, great... Uh, if you will, application for each one of us today. So listen here to God's word. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life, so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ 
risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it, eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Amen. Now, our primary text for this morning is Philippians chapter 1, and we'll be reading verses 12 through 26. Philippians 1, beginning at verse 12. Listen here to God's word. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I want to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better." Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Amen. At this time, I'd like to ask you to bow your heads and silently meditate upon God's word that we've read this morning. Heavenly Father, on this first week of the Advent season, we just want to lift our hearts in praise and in thankfulness to you. We give you praise, Father, for sending your Son into this world to save sinners like us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving your life as a ransom for us. And we thank you, Spirit of God, for effecting Christ's saving work in our lives so that we can come and assemble as the blood-bought people of God and to praise you and to give thanks to you, the God of our salvation. 
We pray, Lord, that as we open up this, your word, that you would open our hearts and minds to receive the living and abiding word of God that would feed us, not only in changing our minds and transforming them, but Lord, breathing life into our souls and drawing us ever closer to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how are y'all doing? You are blessed. Yes, we are blessed. You know, one of the things that's been true of every one of us here is that uh, life has been full of adjustments, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it, it is uh, significant for us to realize that because it does cause uh, actual stress and strain uh, as we live our lives under these circumstances. Even during the Thanksgiving holiday, I noticed a lot of changes as I was around town. And it was a lot of changes even in my own household as well. You know, for some of you, you may have come home from college and you had to readjust from dorm life and fraternity life to home life, to being under your parents and around your siblings. Um, some of you uh, had the opportunity to have either people in or you went during Thanksgiving to celebrate with family and friends. And even in that, you had to make adjustments. You know, as we uh, celebrated the Thanksgiving time, it is really important that uh, in many respects, as we traveled and as we gathered together, the, the possibility of contracting this virus was present with us. And some of us, even close to this church family, had contracted the virus, had tested positive, and even more changes had to occur both at work as well as with our families. And these are just some of the ways in which the times in which we're living has caused us to make very serious adjustments. Similarly, as we face life in this world, there are pressures that are being brought on us because of our faith in Christ. And this caused us to make adjustments, not only innerly or personally, but also when necessary, there have been adjustments needing to be made from external things that have been imposed upon us. And for Paul in his testimony here about his life before the Philippian believers, he wants these believers to know that his physical bonds as a prisoner of Rome did not confine the gospel he was commissioned to proclaim. You see, Paul was facing, if you will, cruel and um, consistent, if you will, constraints on his life. They were externally imposed on him. And it forced him to adjust his station in life. Yet the changes did not alter his resolve to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And though bound in prison, Paul always knew his freedom in the Lord Jesus. Paul was set free 
in Christ. And he, but yet he did know that he was to be a slave to all men in order that the gospel of Christ might be proclaimed to all men. And this aim, as you read about the life of the Apostle Paul, both in the book of Acts as well as in his epistles, this aim liberated Paul to live and even die, if necessary, for Christ. In another letter he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23, we see how the life of Paul is making adjustments so that the gospel of the Lord Jesus can be proclaimed. He says in verse 19, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. Isn't it ironic that in many respects, Paul saw his life as not being freed up to do his own thing. He saw himself freed up in Christ to become Christ's bond slave, as we talked about earlier last week. To the Jews, he would become as the Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, but recognizing that he's under the law of Christ. To those that were weak, he became weak in order that he might win the more. In fact, he says there in verse 23, I have become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I might become a fellow partaker of it. You see, Paul's life was given over to the Lord. And Paul was indeed God's called agent to remove the obstacles so that the faith could be proclaimed and embraced by those who heard it. And in this passage, in Philippians chapter 1, as we've read, Paul's custody gave him the liberty to share the gospel with people he would not have had the occasion to reach. You might say he was the epitome of optimism. Here he is, a prisoner in Rome, chained with a guard right next to him, and he sees it as an opportunity, not as a restriction. He sees it as, as, a, as a great way in which he can still preach the gospel despite the conditions in which he was living under. Verse 12 we read, My circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. In other words, he saw his condition as something that could advance the cause of Christ, could spread the gospel to people that would have remained unreached. In verse 13, he says, My bonds in Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. In other words, his incarceration was not keeping him silent. 
He was committed to the Christ who died for him and rose again on his behalf, and he could not but share it with the guards that were next to him, the praetorian guards, the emperor's guards, but also to everyone else who came to see him. He said, it was well known. And in that regard, he saw even his incarceration as an opportunity to rescue people from the bondage of their sin through the gospel. A diverse group of people, whether they be guards of the emperor or they be the common people of Rome. You see this happen in Acts chapter 28, verses 16 and verse 20 and verses 30 and 31. Can you imagine being a guard next to Paul? They had rotations of guards, you know, 24 hours watching him. Could you imagine sitting next to Paul? He wasn't down in the mouth and woe is me and uh, look at the circumstances I'm living under. No, he was, he was celebrating Christ with them. Look at verse 14. Most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my bonds, he says, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. His incarceration, if you will, was causing spiritual growth and maturity to many of the believers that were in Rome. Paul was fulfilling our Lord's last command to each one of us. He was this, this purpose, if you will, of the great commission of our Lord actually liberated Paul to live and, if need be, die for Christ. But like it's true today, it was true in Paul's day in verses 15 through 18. Paul was not naive to even think that everything that he said and, uh, and everything that he was doing was going to be received from everyone. It's important that he makes a distinction here of two polarized groups here. He talks about the one in verse 15 that are preaching, if you will, about Christ from envy and strife. And he distinguishes them from those that are preaching Christ out of goodwill. He describes them further as those, the latter ones, that are doing it out of the motivation of love. Whereas the others, the former ones, proclaim Christ out of their own selfish ambition. In other words, Paul, while he's in prison for over two years, is, is making a name for himself even among the church. And some of those that were in the church grew in envy and grew in strife against his ministry. And he says they thought that they were doing it 
to cause me harm. And then on the other side, there are those who out of love for the the Christ that he was preaching and out of love for Paul were preaching the message of Christ with greater boldness and without fear because that was indeed their motivation. Well, how does Paul respond to these two polarized, if you will, groups of people, and I might say, that are within the church? He says, despite these divergent motives and attitudes of heart, Paul says, I am able to rejoice. Why? Because Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. He says, yes, I will rejoice. Why did he have such a response under these circumstances with these types of reactions from people even within the church? Well, I think it comes out in verses 19 through 21. Because Paul, by faith, he saw the intrinsic reliability and value and power of the gospel that was being proclaimed. It was being evidenced by people coming to faith in Christ. It was being evidenced, if you will, by people who knew the Lord that were sanctifying and growing in faith and becoming bolder in their faith for the gospel of Christ. As Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. You see, Paul truly believed that God was working in his church in spite of these divergent motives and attitudes of heart. God was working, and Christ was being proclaimed. And he even said to the church in Philippi that through their faithful prayers as believers, and with those prayers interceding for Paul and, and what was happening to him as a prisoner of Rome, that indeed, through their prayers and with the provision of the Spirit of Christ, that it, it would result in his deliverance. I was talking in Sunday school this morning about how recent, well, not really recently, but for a time now, the Lord's been dealing with me about my prayer life. Because a lot of times my prayer life is centered on how to intercede for my family and for my church family and for all the needs that are coming up. And those things are very, very important. As Paul alludes to here, that through their faithful prayers on his behalf and through the provision of the Spirit of Christ, there might be deliverance. But the thing that's been 
nagging at me of late is how much time I spend in prayer telling the Lord about my love for him. Thanking him for his love for me. Calling upon him as the Lord of glory and, and praising him and giving adoration to him and giving thanksgiving to him and, and spending time just communing with my Lord. We need to see anew and afresh, beloved, the power of prayer that not only allows us through Christ to come right into the throne room of God, but to realize that we're in his throne room, that we can worship him in prayer and that we can intercede for his church that Christ has bought with his own blood. Paul says here, that through the faithful prayers of these believers and through the provision, the power of the Spirit of Christ, not only will he be delivered, but that with all boldness, verse 20 and 21, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And then he says this, for to me, to live is Christ. For me, to live is Christ. For me, to live is Christ. Is that you? Is that me? Can I say that in faith, believing? As God hears it from my lips, it is the truth. For me, to live is Christ. You see, Paul's life is not his own. He knows he's been bought with a price. And therefore, he is to glorify God in his body. For me to live is Christ. But he says this also, and to die is gain. If you're living for Christ, dying will be gain. You see, Paul understood. And we need to understand that the, sense, the centrality of our being is that we're in Christ that we need to be living for Christ, that we need to uh, bring glory to Christ. And that needs to be resonating from our life just as it resonates in this letter to the Philippians. That's why there's joy inexpressible and full of glory. It just runs through this letter. Paul believed and knew that he belonged to Christ body, soul, and spirit. And he was fully devoted to live or to die for Christ. That brings us to our passage in Hebrews. 
I'm running out of time. Hebrews chapter 11, we see that same devotedness and focus and commitment in the life of Abraham and in his wife Sarah. They understood that to do the will of God is the most important thing that they can do. And that the promises of God are true. And they can be relied upon. And they can be lived out in a way that may take us to places we never thought that we would go and do things we never thought that we would do. And yet the glory of God can be displayed by us walking by faith and living according to God's word. You need to remember that Abraham, when he was called, went to a place he didn't even know about. He lived as an alien in a land of promise. But he was always looking in faith for that city whose builder, whose architect is God. He was even able to take the child of promise, Isaac, and offer him up as a sacrifice to God knowing that the promise of God would stand, that God could even raise him from the dead. Well, verses 22 through 26, and we've got to go real quick here. Paul actually is musing, if you will, between these two options, life and death. He knows that if he lives on... It will mean fruitful labor for him. But he's hard-pressed in both directions. He says, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet, to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Paul understood that death was just merely the portal of going into the presence of the Lord. There's no such thing as soul sleep. There's no such thing as purgatory. There's no such thing as being, uh, having soul sleep. It is to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. In fact, he brings it out in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 and 8. We read, for we know that if this earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heaven. And he goes on, verse 8, and he says, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. It ties very clearly to even Jesus' experience with a thief on the cross when he says, today you will be with me in paradise. But Paul is convinced that he knows that he's going to remain on in the flesh to continue the progress of these believers, even in Philippi, to grow in the joy of their faith. 
so that, he says, your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. In other words, Paul understood that the gospel was not only that which saved, the gospel was that which, that did ongoing transformation in the lives of people who were redeemed through Christ. It was bearing fruit and bringing glory to God. And this liberated Paul to live and, if need be, die for Christ. This takes us to our final passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Here's Paul's, one of his final words to young Timothy and to us today. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. If you're a believer today, you have been liberated to live and to die for Christ. Amen.